0: Do you remember being prepared for confirmation? Good. Do you remember where you were prepared for confirmation? Good. Oh, here. Do you remember who the minister was who took the classes? Valerie and I remember our confirmation classes very well. They took place at St Anne's Church in Ryde in Sydney and the minister who prepared us happened to be my father dad took confirmation preparation very seriously and we had to learn the catechism by heart go to good heavens above, is it that long and we had a test he, he was very tough so when we came to the catechism question the one that says you said that your god godfathers, and godmothers did promise for you that you would keep God's commandments, tell me how many there be. That's easy. Ten? Correct. Then comes the question, which be they? And you had to rehearse from memory to dad the text of the Ten Commandments full version. How would you go? In the Gospel reading today, we read about the rich young ruler, And he certainly knew the Ten Commandments and how important they were. But before we get into all that, let's just talk about the rich young ruler. He was called a ruler. Now, he might have been a prince or a magistrate of some kind, but it's interesting that the word used for him is a ruler because that is the word used to describe the man who is in charge of the synagogue? It was to the synagogue that Jewish people went for their worship on the Sabbath day. But the synagogue was much more than just a worship place, it was also for the Jewish people a bit like their town hall where their civic affairs were organized. You went to the synagogue with your minor complaints and your pet peeves about your neighbours and it was the ruler of the synagogue who sorted it all out. So the ruler of the synagogue was a man of some standing in the Jewish community. So that's the first thing. He, He may have been the synagogue man. The second thing was that he was rich. Most of the Jewish population were not rich. So this man was quite a talking point in his community. But how rich is rich? Most of the people in the Jewish population were very, very poor. So for someone to be rich, it may just mean that he was not as intensely poor as the rest of them. Didn't mean that he drove a a Rolls Royce chariot. It just means that, oh, well, you know, he wasn't necessarily a billionaire. The next thing we know is that he was described as young. How young is young? Jesus started his three-year ministry when he was about 30. That would have been young. But to be the ruler of a synagogue, you need to have had a good number of life experiences so that you can help others. So most synagogue rulers would have been in their 60s or if they had eaten a lot of broccoli, their 70s. I've read somewhere that this wealthy wealthy man should not have been called the rich young ruler, but should have been called the rich young ruler. Young by Jewish synagogue ruler standards, he was probably in his late 40s or early 50s, but older than Jesus would have been. The next thing we know is that he was Jewish. He addressed Jesus as good teacher or good rabbi. And a Roman official would never have used that appellation for Jesus. He must have heard about Jesus' reputation and he must have admired what Jesus was trying to do and what Jesus was teaching. And so he came running after Jesus for the answer to a naughty problem. Now, over the last two or three weeks, we have looked at the knotty problems that people put in in front of Jesus, washing with ceremonial unclean hands about divorce and all that. But this was such a relief for Jesus, for this was not a problem that was trying to get Jesus tied up in knots. This was a personal problem of a theological and a personal kind. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Now he knew the Ten Commandments very well. They were the very heart of the Torah, they were the heart of the Jewish law. So Jesus said to him, Well, look, you know the commandments, and if you're the ruler of the synagogue, man, oh man, you hear them every day. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honour your father and mother. And so the reply from the ruler was this, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. It's almost like the end of the day he took his clipboard and on it it said, Do not kill, tick, done that. Do not commit adultery, tick, done that one. Don't steal, tick. And so he went through. He had observed all the commandments from his youth. Well, let's talk for a bit about the Ten Commandments. We know that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses by God as a sign and a seal of the covenant relationship between God and the Jews. Not too sure why God and the Jews. There was a a medieval philosopher who gave this English sentence, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Jews. So we're not entirely sure why God chose the Jews, but he did. You did not observe and practice the Ten Commandments in order to establish a relationship with God. God had already done this for you as a Jew. You observed and practiced the Ten Commandments to show that you were already in that covenant relationship with God. What was true was that you were a Jew born into that race of people ethnically by your birth parents, and you were a Jew brought into that religious relationship by God, your spiritual parent. You did not please God because you kept the commandments and as a result God made you a Jew. You were a Jew and as a matter of giving thanks to God, for your jolly good luck of being born a Jew, you practice the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty point, but it's an important point. In our confirmation preparation, Valerie and I did not have to be able to quote the 39 articles of religion. Have you read the 39 articles? Well, they're printed in the very back of our prayer books, And uh, if you'd like some interesting reading after lunch, do take a prayer book home. Go just inside the back cover and read the 39 articles. They are the 39 bases on which the Church of England based its teaching back in the time of the Reformation in the 16th century. Article 14 of the 39 articles talks about works of supererogation. And it says this Voluntary works, besides, over, and above God's commandments, which they call works of supererogation, cannot be taught without arrogancy and impiety. For by them men do declare that they do not only render unto God as much as they are bound to do, but that they do more for God's sake than of bounden duty is required. Whereas Christ plainly saith, when you have done all that you are commanded to do, you say, we are unprofitable servants. When I was training in theological college years ago, we had various African students. And when um, Vice Principal Donald Robinson took us through the 39 articles, poor old Godfrey Mahogolo said, Mr Robinson... Is super-irrigation putting a lot of water onto the crops. <laughs> I mean, what is the Swahili for super-irrigation? So uh, Mr Robinson gently told him that super-irrigation and super-irrigation were quite different. This had nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a jolly good story about Moore College. <laughs> we also had a Vietnamese pastor, Pastor Tin, and he was a great sucker of his teeth. And in chapel, you would hear Tin going... (laughs) And uh, he once stood up to uh, give his testimony and he told us that he was converted through smoking. Um, He had found in uh, wherever he lived in Vietnam, he'd found a little tiny New Testament with very fine rice paper and it was very good for making cigarettes. And so he smoked his way through Matthew, smoked his way through Mark... (laughs) smoked his way through John, uh, through Luke and smoked his way through John 1 and 2 and got to John 3. And there he read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he reached into his pocket. And I have the book here begin. My New Testament starts at John chapter 4. <laughs> uh, works of irrigation. Let's get back to it. <laughs> Put simply, because Jesus said there's nothing more we can do, put simply, God has done it all. There is nothing more that we can do or need to do in order to earn God's favour. The death of Jesus on the cross and Jesus' resurrection were all that was needed to be done to bring about our salvation. God has done it all. We can't earn God's salvation by doing good things, God's already done it. And that's what the rich young ruler had to learn, that he did not observe and practice the Ten Commandments from his youth in order to earn his way into God's covenant relationship. God had done it. And that's the same for us. And there are so many promises in the Bible that this is true. The epistle to the Hebrews, for example, is very strong on the fact that there's no need for animal sacrifices and for blood rituals anymore. The death of Jesus had brought about our salvation and our peace with God. All we have to do is accept it by faith. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 says, If the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your consciousness from dead works? By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. God has done it all through the death of Jesus on the cross, the perfect offering for our sins. And so what is our response? Our response or our demonstrations of thankfulness and commitment are the things that we do as Christians. Our response of thankfulness is the Christian service we offer. Our response of thankfulness are the Christian deeds that we do. Our response of thankfulness are the Christian works that we support financially and prayerfully. Our response of thankfulness are the activities at church that we voluntarily undertake. We don't do these things to earn God's favour, we already have God's favour. These offerings of thankfulness are not works of supererogation, they are works of thanksgiving, the offering of our gratitude and devotion to God for all that God has done for us through Christ. It was such an important lesson that the rich young ruler had to learn that those Ten Commandments that he ticked off every night were his response of thanks to what God had already done for him. And it's an important lesson for us to learn too. Our Christian deeds are our response of thanks to what God's done for us through Christ. So let's offer our worship Let's offer our very lives as thank offerings to the God who loves us, who sent his son to be the perfect crucified offering and the perfect resurrected saviour for all who put their faith and trust in him, whether they are rich young rulers or Christians at Kensington in 2021.